Sunset Lake CBD is a majority employee-owned hemp farm located right outside of Burlington, Vermont. Before they started growing hemp, Sunset Lake Farms produced cream for Ben & Jerry's. Sunset Lake CBD doesn't use any pesticides or herbicides to grow any of its hemp plants, and they use organic fertilizer and other sustainable farming techniques to ensure the long-term health of the soil and to minimize their carbon footprint. So like all of us, my days are really stressful. By the end of the night, my kids are in bed, I'm taking a minute to chill, but I'm still unwinding. I recently started using the Relax Gummies infused with CBD isolate, reishi mushroom extract, and ashwagandha root extract. I'm really glad I tried these because they really helped me get ready for a good night of sleep, and I really think I sleep better, so I'd highly recommend it. So check out Sunset Lake CBD today at sunsetlakecbd.com and use the code HFPOD for 20% off your order. That's sunsetlakecbd.com and use the code HFPOD for 20% off your order. Farmer-owned, Vermont-grown, Sunset Lake CBD. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hey, listeners. I want to tell you about a sponsor, Music Masters Collective. They're a nonprofit organization that produces unique music events, providing opportunities for fans and artists to meet and collaborate in an inspired and creative atmosphere. Every week, they host different events, all with the opportunity to learn from world-class musicians like O'Teal Burbridge, Trouble No More, former members of the band, Milk Carton Kids, Nikki Glaspie, Bill Frizzell, Sean Colvin, and many more. This June, join the Fab Foe, Joan Osborne, John Sebastian, Marshall Crenshaw, and a great group of faculty for the debut of Magical Mystery Camp. This all-inclusive, once-in-a-lifetime music vacation experience in the heart of the Catskills will be packed with nightly performances, workshops, speakers, song circles, open mics, and a lot more. If you're a performing musician at any level, bring your instrument. If you're a music lover, bring your good spirit. It's an amazing experience for individuals, friends, and couples alike. Registration is open, spots are filling up, so check it out soon. And scholarships are available. Check out magicalmysterycamp.com slash helpingfriendly to learn more. Hello, friends. Welcome to the Helping Friendly Podcast, episode number 34. We're here today with uh, David, otherwise known as Zizix, at Zizix on Twitter. Uh, we're really, really, really excited to have him on the podcast. Obviously, he has uh, been a fan longer than me and, and RJ and probably you. Uh, today, we're going to play a show from 94. Obviously, we picked 94 because David just wrote and published a book recently. just came out last month, at the end of last month. It's called this has all been wonderful, a travel monologue from summer 1994. 
the year fish became fish. Uh, we're excited to talk about it. David's a tried and true fan, and he contributes a ton to the community, a lot more than RJ ever has. So, um, <laughs> so we're excited to talk about it. Uh, and also, David, um, you uh, you got your own site, the ihoz.com, the International House of Zizix. Um, that is, you know, one of the first sites that I, I remember going to. For statistics and show numbers and my own show numbers and set lists and all those sort of things and it's still up and running so that's really cool so welcome and um, we're really really excited to chat thank you in case you're wondering IHAS came because someone already had zizix.com <laughs> oh okay the computer company so let's let, let's get the wow. question out of the way where does zizix come from it is in fact I've always pronounced it zizix but it's actually apparently pronounced zizix but I can't oh do really that. Okay. It's a road in Southern California in the middle of the desert, uh, about maybe 40, 50 miles away from Vegas. Nice. And one summer I was on this team tour, which wasn't a bad idea. It was a um, way of seeing the country. The only problem with it is that it just saw everything, so you remember <laughs> nothing. It's like you go and you spend three, 45 minutes at the Grand Canyon at the rim, and then yeah. you drive for 12 hours. Get in the car, get in the car. Yeah, yeah. In the Greyhound bus, actually, with nice. oh, 45 okay. other teenagers nice. that you never would see again for the rest of your life. It was a really <laughs> weird, weird environment. But so we had these like nine, ten-hour bus rides, and we're going to Vegas. I don't know why it was considered to be a good idea in 1986 to have 16, 17-year-olds go to Vegas. I don't know what we did. <laughs> yeah, that's ridiculous. <laughs> but I guess it just, where else can you stop there? So we're driving to Vegas. And all of a sudden, inside the road, I see Zizix Road. I'm like, what? That's the dumbest road name I've ever heard in my entire life. Nice. And so when I went to college, I started writing this long, meandering story. I was in this, for lack of a better word, I, I have to call a band. <laughs> <laughs> I would tell long, repetitive stories over repetitive music. And we alternated between hypnotic and, well, kind of really boring. We cleared, out, we cleared out rooms a couple times. So, and I was in this band, and so I had this song about this quasi-god that was a goldfish reincarnated. Nice. I was in college, and I had lots of creative energy to write stupid things. Mm -hmm. And so I wrote this long story for the um, school paper about this, in which I decided that I would use Zizix like Batman used Bat, like Bat this, Bat that. Mm -hmm. Everything was Zizix this, Zizix that. Nice. And when I hit the internet, I just started using that because I'd just been using it as a joke. If you start picking up a pseudonym on the, the internet, you kind of end up using it for real. You can't kick it. You can't kick it. That's right. And there actually are quite a few other Zizixes. Zizai, I don't know what the plural is. <laughs> <laughs> There's even a book called Captain Zizix. No relation to, to anything I ever heard. I just discovered it one day. <laughs> Wow, it's pretty yeah. awesome. It's pretty awesome when you talk about your internet name and you have to say no relation. <laughs> <laughs> I actually met someone once on the internet because um, she thought I was a different person who went by that name. Really? <laughs> yes. Wow. You're so, David. You're you've been a fan for a really long time, and as Brad mentioned, your website it's one of it's the it's the main reason that you know fans like Brad and I know exactly how many times we've seeing the second set open with Chuck, yeah. with Chuck does torture, you know? Um, so thank you for, for that. Tell us a little bit, you wrote about this in your book, which by the way is very, very good. I'm really, I really enjoyed reading it. Tell us a little bit about how you got into fish. In, um, when I was at Bard, it's definitely the case of being in the right place at the right time. I was at this hippie school. 
about 30 miles from the Vermont state line in upstate New York. Well, what I would consider upstate, but not very upstate, about 90 miles north of New York City. Uh-huh. Right. They used to have this big blowout party at Halloween. They got tired of being known for this thing, so they tried to calm it down. They hired this woman who they gave the horrible title of the Dean of Drug and Alcohol Abuse. <laughs> she was supposed to be controlling drug and alcohol abuse was the idea. And so they tried to ratchet it down pretty unsuccessfully. Yeah. Yeah. But at the same time, um, Fish were playing the champs in Poughkeepsie mm-hmm. that same weekend. So a friend of mine tried to talk people into going to see that instead. And so he's like, hey, everyone go down to the champs. And I went down there because um, the opening band was a bard band that I liked. It is a mean China rider. <laughs> nice. and I'm like, okay, you know, I'll, I'll support a bard band. And yeah. maybe, maybe this fish band, maybe I'll like them too. I even went in saying, you know, this fish band, they should open for you. <laughs> right. And the guitarist of the like, uh, I've seen them before. No. Other way around, yeah. Not even close. <laughs> So I go, I see Fish, and uh, the first set, it was music. I I liked it. I didn't, wasn't really, didn't remember too much about it. What was Second, the date? What was the date of that, David? Uh, October twenty eighth, nineteen eighty nine. Okay. Mm. Yep. Almost a quarter century ago. No tapes circulate. If anyone out there is the one person who recorded it, please get to me. Wait, har- hold on, RJ. What's the date of our first show? RJ and I went to the same first 10, show. Ten twenty eight ninety five. Yeah, October twenty eighth. Oh, wow. Yeah, that's Here. crazy. Six, yeah, whatever. Anyway. So, um, and not even the band has a copy, which really annoys me. Oh, really? So, uh, yeah, that's too bad. Wow. Yeah, I, I've harassed Kevin many times. Every year on the anniversary, I'm like, hey, tape ever circulate? He's like, no. Jeez. Towards the middle of the first set, or second set, they play Colonel Forbins. And nice. I just think, okay, it's just another song. And then Trey goes, now, some of you might be confused as to what's going on, and starts telling <laughs> the um, Game Hen story. But the acoustics are kind of weird in that moment, so I actually couldn't make out the story he was trying to tell. And I was like, oh, wow. I wasn't confused before, but I am now. <laughs> but they straightened it out, and they closed the second set with Harpoon. And that's what first got me hooked in a little bit, because uh, Trey and I have a very similar sense of humor. Nice. So the whole thing about um, the whole long build-up to Poster Nutbag's name, and then they finally revealed the name, it's Poster Nutbag. Mm-hmm. Really? Poster Nutbag? <laughs> <laughs> and so I bought the tape, in part because uh, Junto, which they were selling only at the uh, merch booth, mm-hmm. part because during the long build-up, uh, Trey said it's not fluff. So I think, oh, there's a song Fluffhead. That must be Harpoon, which it wasn't. But right, right. <laughs> <laughs> but I bought this tape, and I fell in love with the Divided Sky. Yep. So I kept listening to them, and then I went again a few weeks later at Pearl Street in Northampton, wow. and then, kind of as a joke, I had a bunch of new friends that year. A bunch of interesting freshmen came in, the, um, the bar, excuse me, first-year students, <laughs> I yelled at it if I used the F word, um, <laughs> came in the bard, um, and so we decided we'd meet up because the new decade, you know, 89 went to 90, first, Fish's first ever New Year show. Mm-hmm. World Trade Center, so we all met up there. And the night before, the 30th at the Wetlands, that was the first show where Fish really blew me away in a live experience. Yeah. All Again, right. first set doesn't circulate. No one has a copy. I'd love to hear the full set list even, let alone actually hear it again. So that's when I really started realizing this was not like the band to kill time with when the dead weren't, weren't around. And Had you had you seen other shows at the Sweatlands? Um. Actually, the only other thing I ever saw at the Wetlands was um, Joe Gallant and Illuminati as a late night during a Fish New Year's run. Nice. I was at 90 miles north of the city, so... Right. 
it always was a bit of a pain. I went there every time Fish played there, but it's an interesting, it was an interesting venue. Uh, Fish frequently got oversold, but they had a uh, chill-out room in the basement. Yeah. These overstuffed couches, and they wow. piped in the music. Couldn't see the band, but you could chill out in this couch and, you know, nice. yeah. lounge pillows and enjoy, enjoy the show that way. That's yeah. awesome. And then when you get tired of that, you go upstairs and you, you know, deal with the crowd. Nice. They had a giant microbus parked in the middle of the venue. Wait. Yeah, it's funny. I've, I've read all about all about this, but I've never obviously seen it. So, David, that the first show sounds really great, and it's um, really awesome that you stumbled upon them. I guess if you if you want to say that. But so, what what do you think your first it moment was? Though the first moment uh, in a in a show or a, a recording, even that you thought, man, this is this is the band I'm gonna I'm gonna really start following or really start getting into. I mean, it probably was at some point in that Wetland show, but again, tapes don't circulate. I don't remember what it was. It could have even been actually way back at that first show during the Harpua. Uh, the joke I always I tell the story every year on my um, on the Fish Statue uh, date this day in fish history thing I do. Mm-hmm. But um, uh, during the whole poster nutbag story, Trey said that Jimmy jumped off the white or sorry, poster nutbag jumped off the white Roy shelf, and for some reason that just cracked me up. <laughs> just even in that moment I didn't know yet but in that moment I think my fate was sealed and yeah quarter century later I'll still be seeing this damn band right 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 right. it's crazy it's awesome. man um, <clears throat> so David what you wrote this this book that we just talked about about summer 94 what what made you decide to I guess both chronicle it at the time and then write about it later like what how did that um, thought process evolve and what was your what was your experience with all that? I didn't actually chronicle it at the time. That's all from okay. memory. If I got any details wrong and someone else was there, they can yell at me. But um, <laughs> awesome. and a, a big disclaimer for all my band interaction stories. But <laughs> right. one thing I learned, though, is that any one of us is better at fish trivia than the band is. Trey always oh, really? wrong. If you're listening to Trey in an interview, he'll say, oh, yeah, uh, you played this great tweezer in the Bomb Factory in 95. <laughs> <laughs> because right. you're, if you're doing it, you don't have to remember the details because you're living it. Yeah. Right, yeah. right, right, right. So yeah. I assume Trey is going to ever correct me and say, "You said I said this, but actually I said that." <laughs> <laughs> right. It was. So what made you decide to do but, the book? Uh, it's a couple things. One, this is an idea I had. In my, I've had in my head for a while. I know there've been other tour journals, but have you ever? Um, do you ever listen to a Prairie Home Companion? Yeah. Yeah. You know that section in the beginning where Garrison Keillor's always like. And now I'm in New York City. New York City was founded in 18 mm-hmm. or 1648 by you know whatever the year is. And I was just thinking that'd be cool to have the kind of a like while you tour, it's like where are you going and how did you get there and kind of like about the music, but also just about like why these venues even exist. As for '94, yep. well, it's the 20th anniversary, so that was part of it. Yeah. Part of it obviously was that it was a very contentious period for me, as uh, towards the middle of the tail end of my tour, some epic stories happened. So nice. it has a hook there. Mm-hmm. But also, this was just the this was fish on the the they were just about to break out. The precipice, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I the first show I saw at the Bomb Factory, which a three thousand a twenty seven hundred seat venue that had maybe eighteen hundred people there. Wow, the last two shows I saw this that year were sold out Madison Square and Boston Gardens. So I start out in these tiny clubs, and by the time the year ends, you know they're playing these famous 
hockey arenas and they're selling them out. Yeah, it's wild, man. So let's 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 dive into the book a little bit. I know you're. I, we've we've uh, we've teased enough. So, I mean, you saw some really truly landmark shows in the summer of '94. One of the great things about the book is that you really recreate recreate the feel. I think you know from those shows and from 94 and the venues and all those things like you talked about do you have like a single memory maybe just like one that really sticks out that really sums it up i can think of a couple one of them is stupid but the kind of stupid in a um this is what it was like back then way <laughs> in the middle of the tweezer fest there's this bit during the first part of the tweezer where they start screaming yeah 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 and i apologize yeah. for my singing <laughs> and so i'm at the greenpeace table at the moment Next door, the venue is uh, the Deep Ellum, which is where they played in 93 the year before. And that and Gore, the um, punk rock band with the um, pirate costumes, and yeah, the costumes yeah. were playing there. And when I be at the Greenpeace table, it convinced me that that was a Gore song called GWA. <laughs> I have since researched this over the years. There is no such song by Gore called GWA. <laughs> I've never found any reference That's great. to it. But because this was 94 and it was two days later when I finally got home and back to the internet and still no one had even posted the set list yet. <laughs> wow. So I was like, oh, hey, yeah, they played GWA in the middle of Tweezer. Oh, man. <laughs> and there are tapes for years later. There are tapes that had that GWA labeled. That oh, is wow. awesome. So that's kind of like a cool little moment of just what things were like back yeah. then. Yeah, yeah. Where you couldn't, I couldn't just pick up my phone and say, "GWA by Gore." I wonder what that's all about. Right, 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 <laughs> right. Or to be more awesome. precise, now there'd be people. So there'd be some guy with his phone streaming it, and um, Fish.net would have a set list person getting on the tease. And by the time the show ended, like the set list would be there, and there would be a two thousand email debate about whether or not that was a tease or not. Right, right, right. Actually, it's interesting. The when you talk about the just sort of the the difference between then and and I don't think you you explicitly go there in the book, you know, then versus now except in in terms of technology. I think you do you're pretty neutral on like comparing Fish's music then to Fish's music now, which is um I don't know if that was intentional or not, but I don't get a lot of, you know, this not e- either this was good, you know, now is bad or or vice versa, but you don't did you avoid that sort of angle intentionally? I'll be honest, um I think I have a much different opinion about the New Year's run that just happened mm-hmm. because I was working towards finishing the book mm-hmm. and was doing a crash list in the summer 94. Mm-hmm. And think I might probably would enjoy the New Year's run a lot more if I hadn't spent the last week listening to seven shows from summer 94. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. I mean they're different. They're very different. I mean but I don't I I, I do I prefer summer '94 to summer or, or 2013? Yes. However, the Tahoe Tweezer, mm-hmm. I will put with pretty much anything I saw in '94. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I do, I'm not going to say. I mean, partially because let's face it, I, I was how old am I now? Um, I was 25 then. Jeez, that sounds young. <laughs> I was 25 then, yeah, and it I'm is. 45 now. Right. And it's a right. lot harder just to dive into music. I've seen so much more music now than I have then. I've seen. 200 more fish shows since then. Yeah. So it's, yeah. I mean, it's hard for me to say, hey, you know, is, is this better or this worse or is it just that I'm more jaded or right. I'm in 94, I was young and had more energy or yeah, yeah. So it's very hard for me to say. I, I mean, I, there are parts of 94 that 
don't happen now. There are things that happen now that don't happen then. Yeah, yeah. Like, they, like their set list now, are, their set lists are a lot more varied now than they were then. They have a lot more material to potentially throw into shows. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. talk about repeats, um, there are a lot more repeats in the early 90s. <laughs> right. Well, I mean, totally. I, I guess it seems like, to me like you've really kept the the, you know, perspective that this isn't it wasn't a stuck in time kind of thing but that the band has a you know the band evolves um i'm glad well, you've been you've been around want, for that long i wouldn't want and the fact actually the theme of the book is that fish fans in general hate repetition yeah right yeah there, that, we have a couple of questions in here about that because i picked that up for sure that we yeah. always heard that for novelty if they were still playing like they were in 94 i mean if they played a show yeah. like style i'd be stoked but there's like on fantasy tour, people um, like to insult the band by referring to dad rock. Fisher now playing dad <laughs> right, rock. Right. And whenever I see that, I'm like, well, they're dads now. <laughs> right. I mean, so am I. You want yeah. someone to be playing to their experience. <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah, yeah. If, if they're playing like um, adolescents, you know, or 20 year olds with no cares in the world, that wouldn't, they would be faking it. That isn't who they are. Right. Right. It's kind of awesome. If that's what dad rock is, then I fucking love dad rock. You know? <laughs> <laughs> and I, I mean, I understand the the implied criticism there, but at the same time, I'm like, no, Page is in his fifties now. Yeah. It, it would be sad if he were trying to act like a 23 year old. It would just look pathetic. He wears like bifocals to play the piano. I mean, you have to. I'd much rather have someone be true to who they are in that moment, right? Than try to create some past moment which was amazing, but isn't who they are. Yeah. It's like going to see, um, I saw um, the band mm-hmm. at this club in Baltimore in like 1990 or 1991. The band without Robbie Robertson, mind you. Yeah. And, uh, Billy Preston was like also in, in that band. Wow. That Interesting. And, and it was just sad. Yeah. You know, like they played The Wait and you could tell it's like, okay, now it's time we play The Wait. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. What we do every single night for the past twenty years of our lives. It's a great. I mean, it's a great point, and that's why that's what makes fish great, man. Um, you talk a lot in here about how. We're oh, sorry. I'll, I'll let this back. So I'm gonna start over. One of the great things about the fact that you saw so many early shows and and throughout this era that we're talking about was that you you actually saw the growth of the band that that we all you know, revisit in tapes. Brad and I started seeing shows in 95. So, you know, a lot of that stuff was in the past. And one of the things I really enjoyed about reading your book was just your description of how things had evolved and grown. Chapter of your book, you talk about the growth of that era and you say, um, the listening and playing off of each other in 92 is what made the extended jamming of 94 possible. And you take chances in front of a small crowd and see what works. The jamming was a hit. Secret language really only had a shot in the clubs and theaters. Um, and there was sort of an anti an anti song um, that was discarded, and the years in the clubs were crucial to letting Fish learn the skills that would lead them breaking out of those venues. So I'm just interested in your own perspective, given that you were there. Like, how did that affect the music, and how did that affect your experience? That sort of evolution and growth. Well, there was a lot of experimentation. Like, if you listen to early early Fish, even before I started seeing them, like. Um, Back, back to make me a better example. Right before I started seeing them, you can see songs like Fluffhead. Fluffhead wasn't a song; it was six different songs that um, had all sorts of different roles. And all of a sudden, they're like, "You know what? Maybe it'll work better if we put this, 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 this together, and make a song out of it." So there's a lot of mm-hmm. 
they spent a lot of time, and you can see the work, a lot of time in, in, back then. Even, even like Rift, Rift used to be a slower song that had this weird jam at the end and then like a little vocal jam after that. And they discarded it for a couple years and brought it back with, with the version that we know. Mm -hmm. uh, Bouncing used to have a different, slightly different lyric. Runaway Jim used to have a slightly different lyric. Right, right. And you can get away with that. You know, when you play to a couple hundred people, you can see, hey, you know, we did this. Everyone loved it. Mm -hmm. We did this. They started saying "fuck you" to us. Maybe <laughs> that thing again. Right. Turn our backs. Yeah. What was what was the best example of that summer '94? Do you think of them doing that? Of them taking a chance or or trying to trying to do something different because they felt they had the luxury of the crowd or whatever? Uh, well, the obvious example, obviously, is the is the Tweezer Fest. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I've since have read reports, and I'd love to give you exact quotes, but this is a vague. Seven years ago on the internet, I read something, and I hope it really happened. I'm not making it up. But <laughs> that they just went into that second set. Trey said, "You know what?" Or maybe it was Paige or Mike or John said, "Let's just jam tonight and see what happens." Yep. And so they threw it out there. They were just going to play a free form set and see what happens. I mean, that's a pretty good uh, one. Yeah, I mean that's. <laughs> but there just is this case. There's all these like little, especially out in the western section, the part of tour that no one really talks about. Summer '94. There's all these like weird little things that happen in the middle of shows, like of all things, the Portland Red Lincoln Antelope, mm -hmm. a show that no one, myself included, ever <laughs> listens to. Mm -hmm. But it's, all of a sudden, Trey starts mumbling these really creepy things. Senorita, <laughs> <laughs> at the end of it, and you just and you know that that could be the um, the Lassie um, do it now um, mm -hmm. Dave Bowie from um, Providence. Yeah. You can kind of see the origins of that planted in this random version of um, running like an animal that nice. no one ever talks about. Right. At, at some weird venue in Portland, Oregon. I guess, David, why did you why do you call it the year the fish became fish? Uh, true. One one is the venue thing. One is that they went from you know playing clubs to playing Madison Square Garden. But also, this is if I could think of, I, I'm not gonna say 1994 was the best year of fish because different people. Some people love 95. Some people love 97. Some people love 2003, 2004. Uh, some person love. Some people loves whatever show is next. So I'm not gonna say <laughs> it's the best year. Yep. But it might be the fishiest year because mm -hmm. as I see, as I see fish, there are three legs to the fish world. Okay. There's silliness, there's their song catalog, and the um, tightness in the in the um, or the compositions, mm -hmm. and there's improvisation. Mm -hmm. And that was the year where they really learned how to meld the three of them. Where they started really figuring out, okay, they still could play their songs tightly, but still learned they were starting to learn how to loosen things up. And I really, I mean, that's part of that started in, in, in August of '93, obviously. But '94, right. like they started playing all these games, like even some shows I didn't see that they would take a song and then they would um, completely revise it on the fly just mm -hmm. because they could. So they were really starting to figure out what they could do. And just how they could, all the seeds of 94 or of 95, the big improvisational years, they started to get planted in 94. So Yeah, that's totally fair. I want to, one of the big things I think in 2013 is that like there's a big division between those people who have like dropped expectations and those people who have held up their own expectations of what fish should do or be. And in the book, you, your tour lesson number six is if your reaction to most songs starting up is annoyance instead of delight, and if you're only going because you're praying for a bust out or because you're terrified that you'll miss the show, then it's probably time to take a break for a few nights. <laughs> it's always best to remember this is supposed to be fun, not an ordeal. 
Um, <laughs> but we're all, you know, obsessed fans, so it's it's really hard to uh, yeah. straddle that line. So what's your sort of opinion on that, I guess, then versus now or, or just overall? Well, notice the way that thing is phrased. That's not me lecturing. That's yeah. me saying, yep, I do that. <laughs> right, 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 totally. Yeah. So I'm saying it happens. It's... I, I talk about the 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 um, ultimate jaded spot, which is between like s- like someone's seventy fifth show, and like their hundred and thirtieth, hundred and fortieth. I think that's like the ultimate jadedness when you get out outside of that. And if you can keep on make it through that point, then all of a sudden you can get be more like, oh, this isn't a repeat. This is tradition. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, it, it's hard. It's really hard. When I mean, I've seen fish over three hundred times, and it can get very hard to say they start up a song and I'm like, oh yeah, this thing. I've seen this 75 times. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Do you think people are more like that now in the age of instant sort of listening technology, just the way that our information is so much quicker at hand? Oh, definitely. Um, I know that, like, I I have a rule which I don't follow strictly now as I I have in the past, which is two weeks before a show, I don't listen to fish. But because of the instant listening technology, it's now become two weeks before fish. I don't listen to a show, except for I stream anything. That's, that, um, if there's a stream from the show, of course mm-hmm, I listen to that. Mm-hmm. That's not quite right. the same thing. So once you, even you know, once you open things up like that, when there's always a stream of every show, yeah. it's gonna it's gonna cause some of that because mm-hmm. if you see six shows and two of them have a Boeing, you'll be annoyed the second Boeing, but not the big of a deal. If you really, stream- <sighs> I don't think I ever. Well, okay. Sorry, a song at random. Okay, you know, just any okay possum. Okay, possum. (laughs) I'm with you now. Don't say bow your hood with RJ. Yeah, sorry, (laughs) I got caught up, but I'm with you now. I went through a phase of of not being in the Bowie. So okay, yeah, fair. But me too. Person, I think I have to. Fair enough. So um, you go through. but when you go and you've been streaming every single show and there are 17 possums, even though you've only seen two, it feels like you've seen eight. And so I think it does change things, not, yeah. not necessarily for the better. Although, will I stop listening to every single stream, even the ones that fade in and out and have people talking about beach burgers? No, I will not stop doing that. I, I am an addict. <laughs> right. If there's a way of listening to fish, I will find a way of doing it. Fair enough. It isn't necessarily uh, healthy, but what addiction is. Right. Yeah. We're, we're not playing the show uh, on the podcast tonight, but I, I kind of wanted to ask, we both wanted to ask you about what happened in Des Moines, uh, in June of 1994. Can you, little, can you talk a little bit about that? Uh, fish played a show and nothing else happened. What are you talking about? <laughs> it, it had been building and I had no clue it was building. I'll see this for a while. Here, I'll, I'll, um, this actually was not even the first time I've managed to have Brad come out and yell at me. So, <laughs> It's not even the first time. Uh, I'll tell you a slightly different story. In spring of 93, uh, at Gunnison, Colorado, they had a nine-year-old kid on stage. Actually, maybe not named Cameron McKinney. Okay. And I actually um, met him at the Gorge this past year because he's actually like the cousin of a friend of mine. Oh, wow. He's like 36 now. Yeah, and it's like... (laughs) And a fish fan. About the, the show and seeing him on stage, and it's like... Yeah, um, I don't really remember any of that. Like, my mom was like, use fish as like my babysitter because she wanted to go out <laughs> tonight or something like that. <laughs> it's really, really kind of weird. Yeah. But he was on stage and he had this keyboard, which was blatantly not plugged in. He'd be sitting there, do, 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 and no, mm-hmm. no sound coming out. And he looked bored. So at the time, fish had these promo cards for Rift that they would um, have the merch booth. And I would take like 50 of them from my set list because I didn't have my clipboard yet. <laughs> 
And so he looks so bored up there. I started writing a little note for him and putting them on stage. Like, yeah, I know the old deadhead chant, let Phil sing. Yeah. <laughs> I made this little sign saying, let Cameron sing and held it up for him. Oh, my gosh. Um, <laughs> actually, Trey saw that, and he got to um, sing a, uh, one of the choruses of Reba, and that was kind of cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because I started doing that, I said, hey, this is kind of cool. I can make little signs and hold them Trey's up. paying attention, yeah. yeah. And, I, again, it's one of the things I thought that I was doing because it was amusing me. And I didn't think anyone was really paying attention to this. And you got to realize that when you're standing by the rail, that's what they can see. <laughs> I That never quite clicked to me until after Des Moines. Right, but, right, yeah, because you tell a great story about how you were, um, you thought you were expressing, making a facial expression about someone being rude to you, but Trey took it as <laughs> disapproval yes. of possum, right? Yeah, exactly. It's like, you know, I'm thinking, God, this guy is squashing me against the rail. What is he thinking? And meanwhile, Trey's like, God, that asshole in the front row he, he's tired of possum well, i can't always play rarities what's up with that yeah <laughs> so good man it occurred to me that they were watching me because you know especially at the time you know i'm like this this math geek sitting in the front row i mean they'd be desperately trying to look anywhere but at me right <laughs> so anyway one of these signs and brad comes up to me outside the hollywood bowl i'm oh, not the hollywood bowl god um the Palace Theater in Hollywood. Let's be more realistic here. <laughs> the band hates it when you hold up those signs. Same exact thing that happened in Des Moines. Like Brad mm-hmm. comes out and just berates the band. Awesome. You do this. And then like Trey comes out five minutes later. He's like, oh, yeah, it's not that big of a deal, whatever. Just no, it's nice. cool. It's distracting. Just can you please consider not doing that? It's that same nice. good cop, bad cop. Yeah. Have going. yeah. They got it both. So, so you, so Trey said, please, can you stop? doing that and then so for the rest of the tour did you just kind of did you stop using the clipboard or did you just stop going in the front row uh for the rest of, oh okay yeah, we'll probably get back to the um the des moines, des moines yeah, yeah sorry yeah go ahead. yeah i was this other story just because it occurred to me after the fact that oh i really should put that in the book yeah <laughs> <laughs> well you have a lot of great like back let's go back in time for a couple of years so i can tell you a related story which i really appreciated so. uh that's actually one of the goals but just because so um, few people were around in the early 90s and late 80s that I figured I got these stories, you know, and it's just it's such a different world back then that people would find it interesting, hopefully. Definitely. Okay, yeah, so in Des Moines, I've, I've been timing the songs. I did it as kind of a focusing device. I don't know how you deal with music. When I listen to music, really good music, I get lost in it. And I can sometimes frequently go and get solve all my problems for the week. It's like, oh... This theorem I'm working on, my homework, my math homework. Maybe if I do this and try this approach, and like the music like powers my brain, I start doing all those things, and I realize, oh my god, I just missed four songs. <laughs> yes, I solved that great problem, but I'm feeling yeah. for the show. I just missed it. So if I keep a lot of very detailed notes and force myself to pay attention and force myself to time everything, I can say, okay, this is happening, that's happening. It forces me to stay completely focused on the music. And so I miss things. So I'm doing that. I'd be jotting down notes, dum da dum da dum And I'd be doing it in the front row. And Trey would see me doing that. And the way he expressed it was simply, it caused him to start thinking about time. He would think, oh, how long is this jam? Is it too long? Is it not long enough? I've been playing it. And he doesn't want to think when he's playing. He just wants right. to be in the music. And so he said it was distracting him. He, you know, it was taking him out of the show and making it harder for him to play. So for the rest, I still timed, except for the next show. But um, after that, I like went back and started timing. <laughs> because for the same reason that it was good for my enjoyment of the music to keep me thinking about the music. Yeah. I mean, it's also but, pretty, it's like, a, it's like a compliment, right? That he's watching you. 
<laughs> right. Uh, <laughs> you're you're important to him. <laughs> I was standing right in front of him. I always think, like to stand between Mike and Trent. <laughs> no, yeah, yeah. I watch the two of them. And I, I do, um, and I think it was just more that I think he would like to be looking at anyone but me. But yeah, I was like, oh great, the bearded guy's back. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah I, I don't think he was like, oh boy, David Steinberg's up front. Yay. <laughs> oh. Maybe he'll amuse himself by making fun of this song. Yeah. Right. <laughs> so. The rest of the tour, I did hang out towards the back. Um, one that uh, UIC I even hung out in the halls, like kind of like I was on dead tour. I actually never went back up front until Deer Creek 2000, or just because it had been six years, and I was starting to write for JamBands.com. Um, then I said, mm-hmm. as a joke, I asked Dean for a photo pass, so I wasn't just in the front row. I was in the photo pit in well, front of the front row, just to, uh, just to mess with their heads. I took some very mediocre pictures on like this very first generation digital camera that, <laughs> that I bought for my return to New Mexico in the 99 run and photos weren't all that impressive like 1.2 megapixels woohoo <laughs> but it was um, and so now I, about once a year I go up front what I do is whenever I go up front now I duck down if I'm at the, if I'm at the Mickey timing note I try to duck below the stage <laughs> so they can't really see that I do that that's awesome <laughs> but also if you, go up, if you go up front once a year you're excited, you're like, yes. Yeah. Right up front. This is great. When you every single night, and I was going every single night. I was going yeah. right up front. Then it just again, it's the same, the same whole like expectations, jadification thing. And then yes, jadification is not a word, but I love it anyway. That <laughs> it's just, a good one. You're just up there. You know, it's where you are. It's not exciting anymore. It's just oh yeah, I see fish in the front row. It's what I do every night. Right. Right. And something like that. If you make it more special, then you don't have to worry about annoying the band because you won't annoy the band. You'll be excited. <laughs> But also, here's here's a real question. What what kind of car did you have, and was anybody with you? I had a Geo Metro. Yeah, no Geo, way. The Geo is seems very. Yeah. Um, it seems just incredibly strong and and goodwilled yeah. throughout this adventure. Um, it, I used to, I nicknamed it my disposal car because <laughs> you know that's what they were. You know they cost like seven thousand dollars if that. Uh, they're three cylinders. Yeah. So you know <laughs> three the, cylinders. <laughs> The hamster would, that ran around yeah, the wheel. It's like a lawn. It's like a pretty fast lawnmower. Yes. <laughs> I think they eat it, which is pretty impressive because they also weighed like twelve pounds. I think I may have weighed more than the car. Got 50, got fifty miles to the gallon though. That's great. And gas was like eighty cents a gallon back then at times. So you go and that really, really, really helped a ton. Yeah. But nice. no, I was going by myself. Uh, one critique I got about my book. My I had an editor. Um, and one critique she said was like, there aren't very many characters in this book. Mm-hmm. No, there's and, like, it's, it's David's in the book. Yeah, but I'm saying it was, a valid, it was a valid point in part because the entire first half of the tour, until um, really until like the Midwest run, there were a few other people doing the tour, but we all, it wasn't like a tour as much as like there were like eight or nine people doing it, and we didn't really, there weren't parking lots for everyone to hang out and sell, sell their wares. And right. Like, yeah. You know, and, and people wouldn't hang out four hours early and set up their stuff and then stay through three hours afterwards because, like, at the Mora Theater, for example, in Seattle, they're playing downtown Seattle. You drive there, you park on the street, you go to the show, you leave. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. right. So there, really, there wasn't that sense of... The uh, best example of me driving with other people was Spring 93. At one point, I'm pretty sure my Metro was the only tour vehicle going from Mintern, Colorado, or Gunnison, Colorado to uh, the Phoenix from the, the Colorado run 
to um, the southwestern part of the run. That was not one of Fish's better decisions to play in March in Colorado. It got really cold, and it, oh, kind of, yeah. it snowed eight inches during the Gunnison show, which no one particularly liked. Oof. So Especially with five, the Metro. Yeah, I had five people in the Geo Metro, and we're driving down US 550. Have you ever been US 550 in Colorado? No, okay. I haven't. Actually, I haven't. Yep. It um, has these hairpin turns yep. with 100-foot, maybe 1,000-foot drop-offs right off to the side of the road. It's beautiful. Edward, There's not eight inches of snow on the ground. They didn't want to put. They didn't want to invest in guardrails. Right. So I had five people in my metro driving on an ice-covered road like that mm. for a pass. And after that, I think I was more grateful for the times where I drove by myself because mm-hmm. I had a really funny idea that I was going to do nothing but listen to the Fiddler on the Roof soundtrack the entire time. <laughs> I haven't worked with that yet. I just have my, my motif for the tour. I'm just going to do this. I think it lasted about the, the end of the first side of my first list. And yeah, it sounds... This. And popped in something else. Yeah. Right. Right. Um, well, David, in the book, just one thing I want to point out is that on page 63, you say that something like, I bet there's even someone who's who's bummed out that they don't play jazz standards anymore and brad and i talk often on the podcast about how we're sad that they don't play jazz standards anymore so you (laughs) found because the way you said it in the book is like there's probably even someone out there who cares about this and you found them here we are so i just wanted to point that out (laughs) but do you think they'd work in the big stadiums though probably not but it's still like in msg or something i want to hear i don't know i just you know (laughs) caravan you know well, I think we're right. the A train because the A train does run the MSG. Yeah, true. Exactly. Yeah. A train runs straight to MSG. Exactly. Well, the last last time I saw something, one of the jazz standards was uh, Vancouver nine nine ninety nine. They did back to the chicken shack. Okay. And it really, really did not translate at all. <laughs> it didn't work. <laughs> Everyone yeah, was just was, confused. People were taking naps. You know, people <laughs> were just having conversations. I think someone may have invented an iPhone just so they could play with it then. <laughs> <laughs> all right well maybe that was better <laughs> better suited to earlier venues um yeah. so the last thing about the book i wanted to just ask before we get into the music um toward the end of the book you talk about how this was like that summer 94 was an end of an, the end of an era for you and you say that um one of your quotes was that um summer 94 was still a time where a group of fans could throw a party after a fish show and have john show up um it was a casual thing and like you know another attendee at the concert and then later you said i would never begrudge fish their success they work hard try to respect their fans to the best of their ability and they and came about their money by making people happy still though when i reflect upon this year upon the music and the venues the interactions and the tight-knit scene i'd be lying if i didn't occasionally have the longing to return to this tour you can make a case for 1995 and 1997 having stronger tours but it's highly unlikely the whole experience will ever be equaled um which i thought was a really interesting and and sort of um powerful way to to sum it up so what's your um do you have anything to add to that or or reflections on that yeah i mean it's a double-edged sword i mean again the uh physics of whose first show in 1997 didn't have to worry about whether the band liked what he was doing or not because mm-hmm. he never talked to the band or brad or i mean unless he was like you know doing something really bad like Setting fish threatening letters or jumping on stage or something <laughs> mm-hmm. like that, you know. They didn't have to deal with that crap. Or I don't say that crap. You know, they, they it, it right. was a di- So I mean there's an advantage advantage of that, but the, it was more a pure 
I am here to be entertained. This band's going to entertain me. Mm-hmm. It's going to be a good thing. But there was a sense that we were all doing the same thing. Mm-hmm. Like, even earlier, um, the I-64 tour um, in 92, they pull up in a tour bus for the first time ever. This tour bus and Trey comes out at tracks and apologizes to, like the people he knows who like look I realize it's gonna be a little bit harder to follow us around because we had this bus now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Sorry about that, but you know it's kind of what we need to do at this point. There was just a connection there that and you know I said it it, it it was you know we got in each other's nerves and you know you don't have to worry about that anymore. The communities it, also can be a lot bigger, right? Because of Twitter and Facebook and the, that sort of thing too. Sorry, what was that? The, the the community can be bigger, right? I mean, it, it like welcomes more people, and it's simply because of the internet and Twitter and Facebook and whatever else, don't you think? Oh yeah, uh, yeah. Actually, I think I think Fish got exceedingly lucky when they came up, in that they arrived just when the internet was starting out, so they were able to use mm-hmm. the internet bigger than they would have otherwise. But they weren't such a new band that now everything is just so stratified, and you know, it's just everyone has their little group. That's really yeah. hard for anyone to get outside their little bubble. So Fish got really lucky that they were just early enough to catch the, the internet, but just late enough there that they still could become huge because no sure. one comes anymore. But uh, yeah, I mean, that is, I like that it's big. I like that they played the Clifford Ball and 75,000 people showed up. I and mean, that's looking around, it's like, oh my God, this. Huge deal, right. For that matter, I love that I, I could go, if I go to a Seahawks game, they'll be playing Wilson. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was fun seeing this band that played. I saw them with 50 people at Toad's Place in 1990. To have them suddenly be this band that gets referenced in pop culture. And, you know, that, that's amazing. And I, and I am glad that, that, as far as I can tell, that they're very well off. So I'm excited right. for all that. Right. And as much as, you know, as much as things are, you know, it sucks that um, you can't hang out with the band. I'd much rather have people, a, a much larger people, love this music because it meant a lot to me. I mean, it may have almost literally saved my life because I just needed to get out of where I was for a few months when I was in Mexico. And that gave me the excuse and an escape. And I'm grateful that other people have found it because it's, yeah. it's a wonderful thing. Yeah, I mean, it's, 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 it's so nice also to be able to share it with others too. And your Facebook, like your daily, you know, to stay in fish history and that sort of thing it makes, it, it makes it easier to be able to connect with people or share it with people too, so... Yeah, that's one of the things I just started as just a writing exercise, saying, you know, I wake up every morning. My wife calls it the morning coffee. I nice. wake up, I write, I have this little thing on um, Fish Stats called the Pattern Matcher, where you can type in a date and it tells you all the show, gives you stats okay. based on that. So yeah. I wake up, run the Pattern Matcher against the day. Nice. I think some of my best ones have come when, like, there have been really crappy options. Like, I wake up, there's some day in August, I don't remember which one is off the top of my head, but there are yeah. two shows... One of which has no set list from like 1987, and one of them is a one-set opening for a Santana show. And for whatever reason, that one day, I wrote some long rant once about Pueblo, Colorado, and the government printing office. <laughs> I wrote a party of days between the Grateful Dead song. So, I, you know, it's a writing exercise, but it's fun that people can read it and people like it. Yeah, it's but, personal, but, but, but people also share in it, which is, yeah, so, you know, what, what makes personal things great. But it's what, what makes it great. Uh, that's one of the cool things about fish being big is that I can write these things out there. And as much as I joke about, oh, yeah, uh, I'll wake up, I'll okay, done, enter. I yeah. gotta go take a shower and get ready for work. Right. But the fact that I know that people are reading it and they'll correct me if I fuck up and say 1986, when I meant 1987. <laughs> and right. There's always somebody, right. I'll, I'll, I'll get in the bus. I, I go and write the thing. I take my shower. I go and I, um, 
I, I ride the bus, and in between, I have two buses that have to ride to get to work, and in between them, I pick up my phone, check Facebook, and if I make a mistake, there'll be seven messages on my phone by then. Yeah. Anyway, 2014. You know, it's coming up. Summer tour's out. You got predictions for 2014, or are you going to hit up any shows? Are you going to, uh, any thoughts about it at all? Well, part of what I'm talking about, that whole um, expectation and keeping them mute, I'm actually doing a light summer tour. It just kind of, not intentionally, it just kind of happened that way. I keep on trying to add shows. And Northwest String Summit, I love Northwest String Summit, and that's the weekend in Chicago. I was thinking maybe I'm going to Merriweather, but Merriweather is the weekend after that, and I might probably be recovering from the strum, and I don't know if I'm going to go two straight weekends. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And just none of these shows are really working with my schedule. I'm going, ah, this kind of bites. But at the same time, there are all these rumors about this Right. West Coast Fall Tour, yeah. which may or may not happen, but there are strong rumors like, okay, let's go. I'm much more of a summer tour person than a fall person, but let's just do it. Nice. And sure. uh, I, I'm, I'm putting all – I'm going to Dick's because we all love Dick's. Yeah, we do. Right, right. And you know, one thing that's like I had this brand-new book. I was thinking about I'll do, I'll do a book signing in the lot, and I'm not doing any shows until Dick's, but I will be doing a book signing at Dick's. Nice. I don't know how I'm going to do it, but I'm going to – um, order you know I'll order some books to have with me and just and Dick's usually had a pretty serious shakedown going in the yeah. uh, in the lot so I'll, I'll set up a table and anyone has a book anyone has a book if at all if they ever see me for that matter as long as you don't ask me during a set like in the middle of a really great peak jam <laughs> I have no thing I'll sign anything nice. But, um, that's nice that's good of you well if anyone's like interrupting you kick them you know just kick them back kick them. That's what I'll do. I'll keep that in mind because, you know, I don't have a reputation enough of being a cranky person. <laughs> Man, I really need to cultivate that so yeah. people be scared of me. Exactly. But I uh, thought uh, of 2014, I, I was pretty happy with most of 2013. I was really happy with with Tahoe, obviously. That, that was my last show I saw that summer. And, you know, I was lucky enough to be at that show. Uh, the yeah, fall tour. Awesome. Fall tour is very solid. Um, I think I think there's a chance that this will be a, in part because I'm not seeing much. That's usually the last. What do you think? Is Dick's part of summer summer tour? Or is Dick separate? Mm, I think it's part of summer tour, right? It's always the end, right? Yeah, I mean at least it's, but it also is closer to fall. You know, technically. Also, there's that month yeah. off though. Yeah, yeah. So if you call if you call it separate, this will be the first tour I've completely blown off. Oh wow! Since fall '97. Kind of a, a popular tour. Yeah, I've heard of that. Yeah, <clears throat> they played some good shows. That that that. So, tour. Wait, so wait, 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 wait. You you've seen three hundred plus shows and you didn't see one fall '97 tour show. Uh, yeah. Wow. I did see um '97 and '95 are my two lightest years since since '89. It's really it's, fucking interesting, man. That's mm-hmm. not not what you would expect. No, it, it just kind of ha- well '95 is the year I moved to Seattle. I was broke. Yep. So I saw five shows um, in fall tour. You know how ni- fall ninety four was fall ninety four was just amazing, amazing, amazing tour. Mm-hmm. Those weren't the shows that I saw. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, there's a really solid hood in Spokane. There's an interesting slave where they play faster instead of louder in uh, Seattle second night. Mm-hmm. And actually, a funny moment uh, first night where um, I'm sitting there drinking a soda and they start playing Alvino Volcano. I'm like. Oh crap! I bet it's Yom Kippur tonight, isn't it? 
<laughs> soda like maybe an hour after sundown. Oops. Yeah. So but, was it? Yes. Oh. I, looked, I looked up as soon as I got home. Shit. But yeah, uh, I, I've had to see like, the five worst shows of fall '95. Yeah, it's crazy. Um, I saw New Year's '95, which more than makes up for anything. So. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, we Brad and I had the pleasure of seeing several fall '97s, and that was um, that's what clinched it for me. You know, after two years of seeing him, it was just. Um, it was a fun time. And in the Midwest where we were living, we got Cleveland, Detroit, Dayton, and I went to Penn State. And that was like so yeah. four solid shows. And that was, the, that was my first real fall tour experience. And that just kind of – it was amazing. Um, my wife holds 97 over me, actually. Usually yeah. – <laughs> I, I usually call her a noob because her first show wasn't until fall 94. I'm mm-hmm. like, come on, you can see a summer 94 show. What's up with that? Yeah. But um, – <laughs> But '97, she saw um, the Virginia Beach, the Cracker Boom show with mm-hmm. the giant thunderstorm, and then she saw the Hampton, Hampton, Virgi- um, not Virginia Beach, um, Winston Salem run yep. in the fall. Nice. So she always holds that over me. It's like, yeah, I saw these great, these great '97 shows, and what did you see? I mean, I saw the Gorge run, and the Gorge run was at the time it was like, what's up with the space funk? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like this before, but by the end of the second show at the Gorge, I'm like. For those of you who are sick of space funk, have some space funk. Yeah, yeah. I put that on my, on my yeah. set list. I think we, um, I don't know, I felt kind of the same way about Summer 97. It was, we saw, I saw, we, Brad and I both saw Deer Creek, Alpine, and Tinley. And they were all like, it was fine, you know, it was mm-hmm. fun. But I, but I, I definitely by the fourth show, I was like, what, why, what is this slow, like, funk that's not really, um, yep. it wasn't really going places. And then they figured it out quickly, but. I don't know. Ninety seven just fell through my cracks. I mean, it happened, and said the same thing's happening with um, this summer. So that is potentially a really, really good omen for everyone. This is my present to everyone. Yeah. This. Nice. I'm blowing off leg one or, or whatever you're calling this first part of summer tour. There's going to be epic jams every night, complete <laughs> bust out. They'll probably play Harpoo four times. Yep. <laughs> and I'll be listening with. Um, Desperately trying to get some guy holding up his iPhone. <laughs> You'll be listening on Edgar Martinez Way, or whatever it's called. Martinez <laughs> Drive. Drive. Okay. I'll be watching. I'll be seeing Facebook field with five thousand other desperate Mariners fans, watching them lose to seven to nothing or something. <laughs> five thousand other. Facebook um, field sad. Well, David, we will um, we'll hold we will give you all the credit. It's actually a win-win because then you get to listen to all the awesome summer shows. So you know. Yeah, you know what? Again, I've reached a point in my life. I've, I've seen fish enough. To, I always would rather be there. The addict to me is like desperately looking at airfare, yeah. trying to find a way of making it work. But ultimately, as long as the shows are happening, as long as there's new tapes, yep. sometimes that's good enough. And, and there's yeah. dicks, you know, I mean, something is going to happen first night dicks. We all know expectations. There's my expectation. Yeah. I, there will be a set list game first night dicks, and if there isn't, I'm going to be a little bit bummed. Mm-hmm. Right, but um, but you know something's gonna happen there. You pay your money, you take your chances. And I, I got tickets to three shows. Hopefully, one of them will be great. And and if not, if if I see all the crappy shows and everyone else gets to the great shows, well, then at least I can listen to the great shows on tape. And friends of mine yep. will great shows. Right, right, good, good, good. good. It's a win-win. Um, so Dave, let's talk about the the show that we're gonna play. We're gonna play one set from um from a show from the book um that you that you wrote and 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 you write about this show specifically which is 51694 
in LA and after a long many many email discussion we landed on this and it's really hard obviously because you said at the beginning you saw some amazing shows and and wrote about all of them which is which is the great thing in the book um this is something that we thought would be a little bit better than playing the bomb factory as we've already talked about and a few others just just um for a few reasons first of all it has zero reviews on fish.net which i think you noted in the book david but um pretty pretty awesome and then um you know we're pretty close to the anniversary which is which is always cool but um it also just has this very unique um combination in there and we'll talk about the specific songs after we listen to this set but david what's your sort of memory of this show and and why you thought it might be a a good choice um actually this part of my memory which is that it's my memory of that this is the show that completely fell through the cracks somehow, mm-hmm. and I have no idea why. It's got some interesting set list calls, and Antelope that actually is one of, uh, made onto a live bait a couple of tours ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, much, I, in fact, I even forgotten that. I was actually just listening to, um, trying to find, see if I had it on my um, iTunes directory, and I searched 51694, and I was like, oh, live bait. Huh. <laughs> yeah, yeah. This triple version of Big Black Furry Creature from Mars, it's got a a Louie Louie jam during the um, the yam, which, as a Seattleite, a transplant admittedly, but a Seattleite these days. <laughs> the Kingsmen are from Seattle, so we always have to say, hey, Louie Louie. But actually, the cut yeah. note where I explain why everyone in Seattle <laughs> loves Louie Louie, and man, are gonna, no, no one needs to know that. That's completely <laughs> a pet, that thing. <laughs> so we're just going to play set two, uh, and um, it's 516.94. It's a, it's a great show. Great second set. We think you'll really enjoy it. Um, as always, review us on iTunes. It just takes a second. Hit us up on Twitter at HFPod and email us helpingfriendlypodcast at gmail.com. And um, as summer tour approaches, check out cashertrade.org for uh, face value tickets. It's a great place to be. So let's listen to set two from 51694. Hope you enjoy it. See you back here after the encore.
What is a city without its music? The legacy of the New York Philharmonic is incredible. Nearly two centuries of history. That's a lot of music and a lot of stories. I was sitting on stage for the very first time thinking, I can't quite believe this is happening. Join me, Jamie Bernstein, as we explore the history of the New York Philharmonic. It's the NY Phil story made in New York, a podcast about a city, its people, and their orchestra. Listen wherever you get podcasts.
We are just listening to set two, five sixteen ninety four, the Will Turn Theater in Los Angeles, two thousand one, into Run Like an Antelope, into Big Black Furry Creature from Mars, back into Run Like an Antelope, Sparkle into Its Ice, into Julius, into You Enjoy Myself with the Louie Louie Tees, and back into Big Black Furry Creature from Mars, Amazing Grace, back again in the <laughs> Big Black Furry Creature from Mars. And the encore was Fee into Taki Rob. <laughs> <laughs> so, David, what was it like, like the 2001 opener and, and into the analog? Uh, 2001, uh, you probably noticed it was about four minutes long or so. And mm-hmm. 2001 was kind of funny back then because um, summer 93, 2001 opened up pretty much every single second set. I'm not exaggerating. This is literally... It opened up like 12 straight second sets. Nice. I would go to, uh, during set break, I would say, what do you think they're going to play second? Because <laughs> we all knew what they're going to open with. In fact, the, nice. only, the only show in that streak where they did not open the second set with 2001 was because they played one of the Horde shows and it was a one-set show. So they opened up the first set with 2001. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I'm very forgiving of repeats compared to other people because I've seen repeats. And they'll be this ever again. So, uh, 2001, you know, it was one of those things where it was just kind of a um, a space filler song, but it's always fun. It was, you you wouldn't expect a 15 minute funk jam in it. It just kind of like a little thing get us all grooving. Yeah, just a little thing you know, to get the adrenaline up, and everyone likes. You know, they didn't have the, obviously they didn't have the giant Chris Kuroda, um bright white light peaking there, but. They had the 1994 equivalent, which I imagine I can't remember off the top of my head. Because whenever I think of that peak, I my mind I always see the white lights. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. Had a couple of, like little white lights shining on us, more or less. And nice. did they start? Did they start playing 2001 in in 93. Yeah, summer 93. Summer 93. So they were. Yeah, they, it's crazy that it's just because I think people most identify it with you know the 97 onward era, but it's just. It's interesting that even in '93, but like they were all pretty short, right? They didn't yeah, really they all, take it out. Just very straightforward, verse one, verse two, going to the next song. Yeah, '93 is summer. '93 is some weird debuts. I mean, Daniel, which was again played almost every single night, then completely dropped. Mm-hmm. Leprechaun, which was played three times. I don't know why, because it's a beautiful song. Had all these really random crap from summer '93 that I really wish it stuck around more. But um, so 2001 just kind of always brings back. I know for everyone else, I think the summer '97 fun for me. 2001 always bring back memories of '93 mm-hmm. and seeing it every single night. And so, but it still was a new song, so it's still kind of a novelty. So everyone mind they're seeing it every night. Nice. Do you want to just talk about the antelope, pig, black furry creature from Mars, the whole sandwich there? Um, and Brad and I will jump in because it was mm-hmm. it was pretty crazy. That whole thing it was. Um, I have a lot to yeah. say. I love the false start of antelope or the, the creature where they start mm-hmm. they start yeah. hitting and then and then. Um, like Trey, I think it's Trey hits it, and then like everyone else just kind of goes, eh, I don't know about this. And then two minutes yeah. later, Trey hits it again, and we're like, Yeah, let's go for it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, the precursor. And uh, one thing I like about it is that if this were played three years later, about there's mm-hmm. French about four minutes after they come back from Antelope, that would completely have gone to Down with Disease, the Down with Disease um, big riff. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay. But yeah, down. Yeah, yeah. It completely would have, but that isn't something they did yet. Down with Disease then was just a standalone seven-minute song. Mm-hmm. So the idea hadn't occurred to them yet that they could do this. But if you listen to it, it completely is a, is a, just wants to jump into that riff and go and reprise Down with Disease. Nice. 
Yeah, I also think that like uh, right before or during the breakdown, the, like the initial breakdown or bridge or whatever before the lyrics of Antelope, you can hear him try to go back into it again. Uh, I think you can hear Paige try to break it down, or I mean Paige Trey, to break it down into into something again right before, and and he kind of um, you know the first line of lyrics he kind of says softly you know what i mean like kind of apprehensively like oh, i wish we would have gone somewhere else well he messes it up he actually says yeah. um set the gear shift to the high gear of your soul whoops wait that's yeah. not the line yeah, yeah he's just <laughs> right. apprehensive about the whole thing he's like i don't want, oh, oh, oh. you know if you listen to the um this was a that one track was a live bait listen to the live bait soundboard you actually can really hear trey laugh and say whoops mm-hmm. <laughs> oh yeah <laughs> um and the the big black furry creatures from mars i mean it's one of the just it's one of those times where you're like where they're in that sort of quote unquote type two, you know, sort of almost bliss jam thing. And you're like, wait, this is still big black furry creatures from Mars. What? Yeah. yeah. Just as I think you described it, David, in the book as um, kind of hitting that point, but it, it it's a pretty um, really nice little groove there in there for a few minutes. Yeah. And again, this is, while some of the antelopes, in fact, almost any antelope from 94 is, is incredible. The idea of a 20-minute jam, this thing goes on for over 20 minutes. A 20-minute jam on a mm-hmm. song still is a really rare, exceedingly rare thing. Mm-hmm. This is my 77th show, Lucky wow. Sevens. Nice. That's amazing. And, um, a lot of shows. I'm probably only like my third, maybe, 20-minute jam. This is, again, part of why this is why Fish became Fish, because they started to discover that they could do this. Yeah. Sure. Yeah, and they were definitely experimenting this night, right? I mean, just even the fact that they go back into back into Antelope pretty pretty fiercely, and then you know, obviously at that point it becomes like a they're just reprising Big Black Fur Creatures, right? But the it sounds like they're when they come back into Antelope, it's pretty um, pretty intentional. But before that, they're just kind of fucking around for a while, but it sounds good. Yeah, they're they're letting themselves um, play around. But I think again, it pays that they were playing in L.A. Mm-hmm. Which wasn't exactly the um, heart of the fish fan base in 1994. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. Like, you know, if, if they didn't work, then oh well. You know, the eight people who regularly see them would be slightly annoyed, and everyone else would have no clue that they fucked up. <laughs> That's right. Great. So, is this one of those shows you think where they were really like you talked about the growth <laughs> and and adding to that and giving them the sense of um, ability to experiment? I don't remember how packed this place was, to be honest. Mm-hmm. I, I bought a ticket. Actually, I did not buy a ticket outside the show. I um, met up with someone in San Diego on the way out there who um, had an extra ticket. So I don't even know if it was sold out. For the most part, every show on this tour, I bought the ticket in the parking lot or at the box office that night for, from some perspective. I, uh, the only show that sold out on me was, of all things, the Minneapolis show. A little tidbit that did not make it into the book was the, the show that I had the dedication, and I was all upset. I was on the guest list that night. Oh, man, really? Well, uh, they, it just was one of the things where the show was sold out, Mike was outside the show. A, the way to ask for guest list back then, like, they know you bought tickets to the last 17 shows. You're like, hey, this show sold out. Is there any way you can help me out? If you can't, I understand. And Mike, like, okay, sure. I like, Thank you. I appreciate it. You know, I, don't, I try not to ask. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, but wow. so um, yeah, I was actually on the guest list for the uh, Minneapolis show, which is the only show on the entire tour, other than maybe the wheelchair. But I don't think it did that sold out. Wow. So small club, not their normal place. It definitely helped. They, they were being a little, a little goofier, a little looser on the on this West Coast run, just because 
they could. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Got it. The recording's good too, so to me that t- tells me that it's a smaller. I mean, maybe it's just the recording I listen to, but I always feel like when you get an older show like this, it's like a smaller club, maybe not so many people, not so much banter. I don't know. Um, yeah. It was it was a nice recording, and the sparkle goes as sparkle, but I, I actually wanted to talk about the It's Ice. I thought it was really good. Mm-hmm. I know it's 94 and, you know, it's just a couple of years old, but um, I like the pace of the It's Ice, and I liked the fact that Paige kind of took it over um, and gave gave it a little break in between the two big black furry creatures, you know? <laughs> I don't know. Uh, I'm one also a I, big page yeah. fan. One thing I hadn't noticed until I started re-listening to every single show that I saw in 94 be- before reading this book was just how good these 94 dices were. Yeah. They were... Um, this one, the one at um, Santa Fe, uh, there was another one um, around this time, too, where they were just... Really hitting its ice really strong around this time. Yeah, I think it was Paige's so, keys. Nice. Just just on the just on the piano too. It wasn't you know anything crazy, organ wise. It was just I thought it was really great. And they they kind of break it down like they break mm-hmm. broke it down a little bit more than they did in later years. But now they're kind of bringing that back, right? I mean, the, yeah. in terms of the um, fish then versus fish now, all all my favorite devices are from '94, mm-hmm. except for the one over New Year's run. Yeah, it was awesome. Which, oh man, so good. That was, that I was, was actually. Almost, were you there, up. David? Yeah, well, I, um, I have not. My last New Year's run show I missed was uh, twelve twenty nine ninety five. So I've. Oh wow, nice. So uh, I, I'm on a little bit of a streak, which may end this year, unfortunately. But well, that, that's a pretty play. awesome streak. That was the but, only show of the run that I got to was twelve twenty nine. So I was I was excited <laughs> about that. It's nice. One streak that will never end. I've never missed a New Year's show, and nice. as far as long as it's humanly possible for me to get to New Year's mm-hmm. Eve, I mm-hmm. go to New Year's Eve. Nice, nice. But uh, the uh, yeah, I was at that show, and I actually remember um, mockingly tweeting during it. I really hate it that uh, Fishman didn't do his little dance during its ice, just kind of like jokingly around. Like, <laughs> uh, I don't know. You have you seen the Fishman its ice stamp? Stand, he would stand up on top of his seat. And do this during the do 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 do. Uh, build. He would stand. He would very slowly and dramatically get up on top of his stool and do like a thirty-second little dance with his arms, which huh. you can see me doing now because because yeah. we're skyping and yeah. <laughs> I have video. And then at the owl, he would just sit right back down. It was like a really brief little dance, but this kind of. I still mm-hmm. ex- expect to see it. I don't know why they dropped this. It was kind of funny. That's awesome. They yeah, they need more they need more of those antics. Um <laughs> I don't think I've ever I mean what did they ended there like in 92 or 93? I think or sorry, I, 94, 95. If it was 94, I don't remember when it was 95, by 96 it definitely wasn't happening. Yeah. Maybe I just didn't. So, yeah. It's crazy. Um we should try to find a video video of it and we'll post it on the on our blog if if we can. Cuz I don't think I've ever seen that. Um but did you so David the the it's ice from from MSG was awesome. Um, did you did you feel like it was like did it remind you of a ninety four? It's ice. Um, to some degree, yes. That that was the first it's ice that really. Um, and and then so back to this ninety four show. Then they go into Julius, which they had just debuted Julius. Of, you know what a month before um, mm-hmm. at the Flynn. So this is maybe fifteen twentieth time. But was it um. D- did you enjoy it as a new song, David? 
Um, I actually, I did. I actually never really mind the the rock breathers. Um, and I always think a fish is best at a, as a dichotomy, where you had the big jam, and then you had the song, and you had the jam, and then you had the song. If you can do both, I think they both are provide breathers for the other state of mind, and you enjoy mm-hmm. both more. Mm-hmm. And I mean, it rocks. You know, it goes. It's high energy. You dance. Got the whole "Don't Take a Single Another Step" part, which is always kind of fun. And it was a new song. It was probably my second or third one I've ever seen. Mm-hmm. And it's very hard to get sick of a song unless you really hate it. Mm-hmm. If you haven't seen it at least ten times yet, so mm-hmm. nice. I was a fan of Julius. This one was I don't know, pretty rocking. I think they they were excited to have this kind of a uh, different sort of jazzy rock song feel to it it seemed like they were excited to be playing it in early 94 yeah definitely although i've heard it said uh i think there's a charlie dirksen line which is every julius someone's like this is the best julius ever they always <laughs> yeah. seem like really like like to deliver that one yep <laughs> it's totally i totally i've definitely fallen for that myself um <laughs> like you go this, oh my god this julius this julius is amazing i can't wait to listen to it again and you're listening again oh yeah it was a julius that's yeah. pretty good there was one <laughs> in and, and, there's one on the Fall 97 tour, the winter, like the December 97 that I remember afterwards. I was like, that was just unbelievable. And then I listened back and it's probably still pretty good. But yeah, might have been um, caught up in the moment. It's kind of funky placement too. the middle of a second set. It's usually the end of maybe the first or, you know, the beginning of the second. Or, I don't know, you know, yeah. or the end of the second. I think at that point they middle. were just trying yeah. to like figure it out. They didn't even yeah. know where it went, right? Yeah. 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 Well, also, the, the, the set kind of took a weird turn there in the middle. Like, the set takes a bunch of weird turns in terms of set placement because you have the, mm-hmm. like, this big jam in the beginning. Yeah. Then, also, then you have a couple standalone songs. Then you have the composition. And then it ends up with the Black Furry Creature for some bizarre reason. So yeah, it's, it's kind of like. I thought of the same like thing listening to it, re listening. It's like they, they, they're never going to play Antelope second set or second song of the second set anymore, right? I mean, I just don't think they'll do it nowadays. I mean, it's. Maybe, it maybe, you know. Very standard placement at that time. Um, right. Mm-hmm. It, it works well for it, you know, but it only works well for it if you're going to play it. Um, in 94, there's not the assumption that there's going to be a jam in the second set. Mm-hmm. There are many second sets of this tour that don't have the type 2 jam, but just have, like, things like an antelope where it rocks out for a while, but no big space jam or long improvisational segment. So yeah, early early antelope always kind of worked. Yeah, that's fair. Um, well, so so David, then they play you enjoy myself, which is always fun. What anything particular about this one from your memory? Well, I definitely like the the um, I mentioned actually in the um, in the set list recap. Yep. God, oh, you, the, there's a full band jam along of Louie Louie. It just comes mm-hmm. out of nowhere. Mm-hmm. It's something playing, good playing, and the whole band. This clicks immediately. Oh yeah, let's do this for a while. And being from <laughs> Seattle, you know, yep. I, I got got to pump Louie Louie because that's even though the Kingsmen didn't write it, they're the ones who popularized it, and they're from You're Seattle. Right. So I say they're about to hit the Northwest about three shows later. So there's a little welcome to the Northwest huh. moment there. Nice, interesting. And that um, was that. Do you think that was intentional? No. Okay. I think there's no way in hell that they knew that Louis okay. had a Seattle. <laughs> I was going to say, that's amazing if you, you know, they're like, that's a pretty obscure little tease to throw in there, but good for them. Or I guess it was yeah. a full on, it was a jam, not a tease, or was it a tease? What was it? The, the first Seattle show, or one of the first, right. called the Oz Nightclub, back in 93, 
during fee. This is one of the things I've learned by writing these daily recaps mm-hmm, I mm-hmm. for this. They sing, um, have a cup of espresso and catch your breath. <laughs> that's, that's, <laughs> nice. That's awesome. Playing Louis Louis five shows before you hit the Northwest? No. That was just kind of it. <laughs> <laughs> but in retrospect, now that I know that the Mariners game, they play Louis Louis at the seventh thing stretch. In okay, retrospect, yep. that's kind of cool. Yeah, right. it is. <laughs> that's awesome. And then, so then they close out the set with Big Black Furry Creature. Like, this is an odd sandwich here big, big black furry creatures from mars amazing grace big black furry creatures from mars so at that yeah. point david this is just a sort of a you know joke in the set list right yeah I, I can uh big black furry creature from mars again this being this more or less the same age of fish that really is an 80s kind of thing that that power punk with silly yeah. lyrics or a lot that was a thing that was happening in that era like camper and beethoven the um the Ramones, there are bands like that that were mm-hmm. doing that. It's one of the few bands that, few songs they had that really sounds like they actually were influenced by their era. Usually they're influenced by like Fish's Bizarre. Okay, let's, let's write a 25 minute composition now. And no one was doing that in the 80s. But I, I kind of like that. I think I kept, I kept on explaining it in the book over and over again just because it just is a very non fishy song in many ways. And so right. it, was, it always catches mm-hmm. my ears. Oh, that's right. They, played, they had this song too. And yeah, that amazing great. They actually did a couple times in this tour that in the middle of a, of a pause, they would suddenly play an, uh, an unmicrophone song. That's obviously something they can't ever do anymore. Mm-hmm. And right. I think perhaps, I think most would probably say thankfully because it never quite worked quite as well as, as we all hoped it would. Mm-hmm. They'd, go, they'd go up to the front of the stage and they wouldn't have any microphones. Sometimes they had some instruments and they'd sing. But the first five minutes was everyone trying to shut everyone up. And as soon as everyone got <laughs> quiet, someone would scream something and everyone would cheer. It was a great idea, but it never did quite work <laughs> at all. And they did, they did it again, actually, in the morning of all things. In the middle of um, Ghoul of Papyrus, they um, did some unamplified song. And mm-hmm. they, they liked doing that yeah. uh, for a while. And it was kind of just, hey, there's a pause here. Let's. But I like the contrast that I wrote about in the book. I like the contrast of you have this hymn in the middle of this goofy song about an alien trying to kill someone. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's very, very it fits, right? Together. Yeah, it fits because it doesn't fit, if you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah definitely. I'll, I'll add that my newbiness, I always still think that, like, Fishman is the one screaming the lyrics, but it's Mike, right? Yeah. Which is it, hard to... The, the one, two, three, four is Fish. Yeah, 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 no, I know he's there, but I'm just saying, like, I always like the first time I heard it, I'm like, oh, that's that, I can't believe Fishman's like singing this song. It's just Mike screaming, you know. It's a Which weird is even song. weirder that you wouldn't necessarily. I mean, it is a Mike song, if I'm yeah. recalling correctly. No, he did, he wrote it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, but you wouldn't expect, you know, when you think of Mike's um, material, that isn't necessarily the one that would come to mind. Right. <laughs> no, no. Other than other than fuck your face. Right. Yeah. <laughs> that's now that's. True. It's like, which also yeah. is another kind of a song of the era. So I guess Mike yeah. is the one who actually was most influenced by the time he lived. By the punks. Yeah, right. right. And then, so David, the encore fee and the Rocky Top is uh, was was fun. You know, I don't know what you, if you had any thoughts about that, but it was it's always nice to hear. Um, I like both those songs. Yeah, I, I never have any problem with either. Uh, you know, Fish, the encore. It's always funny, like going to other bands and like how the 
encore is kind of like this is the big moment of the show. This is where mm-hmm. I'm finally going to play that song you've been waiting for all night. And if it's like the encore is like, oh, yeah, encore. I guess we should do one of these things too. Yeah. Yeah. Which is sort of how the dead treated well, it too, right? Well, Jerry Garcia band wouldn't even encore. They, they didn't just, encore. <laughs> they just out the end of the show. But dead was like it was U.S. blues or like. You know what? There was a handful. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Melissa used to bitch about how always I fought the law when she was seeing shows. <laughs> but um, yeah, the one thing Fish used to do a few years earlier was the double double encore, which is back in like ninety. Mm-hmm. They play, playing fifty minute sets. They would do a two song encore, leave, and do another two song encore. That's pretty cool. That was always kind of fun. So it's always good to yeah. get the second song, you know. It was more common then, but it's always nice when you get that second song in the encore. Kind of, you think they're both short. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Kind of like you got your money's worth out of the encore. And what, what's your um, what's your sort of take on encores? Do you always stay until the stay until the lights come up? In place? Uh, that, that's the lesson I learned at my fourth Grateful Dead show, <laughs> where everyone they played one more Saturday night, one more Saturday night. Everyone was like, oh god, and walked out, mm-hmm. and all those suckers missed the only ripple in the, in the, the last twenty years of the Grateful Dead. Mm-hmm. Oh wow! I did not miss that ripple. I was there for it. So I learned very early on, doesn't matter. You stay until that last, until the house lights come on. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That is a really good lesson to learn. I think that's one of your lessons in your book, right? Yeah. Yeah. I, it is, and I learned, it, I learned it the right way. I didn't learn it by mistake. I learned it by other people's mistakes. Yeah, yeah, that's nice. the best way. Um, and it's rough, though, because like, I, I make this money by selling sodas, and you right. really have to the time you make your money is right after when everyone's leaving the show, especially at these small venues. You don't get, you don't get like 5,000 people coming out. You get like 300. So you mm-hmm. have to get them like that. Yeah, you get, yeah, that's a really good point. You have a really limited audience for a limited amount of time. So I would go, I would go as close to the door as I could and still hear, and I'd creep out, but until the house <laughs> actually came on, I would not leave the, the room. Nice, nice. Against the, the first one, yeah, yeah. Um, just because I, part of it, though, I think is the rule is I'm selling sodas to stay on tour. I'm not on tour to sell sodas. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty different. Yeah, those are totally different. I mean, there are people who go see shows solely to make some money out in the lot. And, right. Sure. Uh, fewer of them now, though, right? It seems like the that has sort of whittled down. Do you think? Because of credit cards. Uh, uh, not as much credit cards. It's also just it's a lot harder. Yeah. I mean, gas is more expensive. The whole idea of sleeping in rest stops. Do people even still do that anymore? Not that I know I, of, but maybe some people do. It's just a lot harder to do that now. It's actively discouraged. And um, the margins aren't there. Like I said, when I started doing this, sodas, I could buy a case of sodas for $4. Now I see that sodas is probably $10. Yep. yep. And tickets, when I started out, were 15 to $20. And now they're Fifty to sixty dollars. Yeah. See, you just can't do it. You can't. It still isn't bad have... though, comparatively. Like fish tickets are still cheaper than whatever Billy Joel. If fish tickets, I mean, yes, I, I'm not begrudging yeah. the price. But yeah. I'm saying you can't. You can't support yourself. From I broke even. I saw twenty six shows this summer, and I'm pretty sure I more or less broke even on the tour, just selling a case of sodas every night in the lot. That's awesome. That's pretty good. That's and good. pretty awesome that you can still do that. And now, if you try doing that now, you just you can't. Yeah, you, you can sell illegal things, which right. I officially want to say I do not encourage that one bit. Yeah, <laughs> we don't either well, on this pod, on this wholesome podcast. 
No, but yeah, it's well, ridiculous. Sell t-shirts, and if you can get lucky and have the t-shirt that everyone loves, you can kind of make some money that way. But that's risky because you have to put a lot more money down to start out with. Yep. Right. So it's it's a lot. I mean, people sell less just because it's a lot harder to get away with it, and it's too bad. That that was that was part of my life. You know, I yeah. mean, I started out with Grateful Dead. And it carried over fish for a while there, that whole nomadic lifestyle. It's like, okay, I got three months off. It's summer vacation. Let's hit the road and see what happens. Mm-hmm. Really cool. Yeah. Hey, well, you're not still driving the Geo Metro, right? Geo Metro, unfortunately, I moved to Seattle in 95, and the Geo Metro lasted about 96. And uh. I quite <laughs> disposal cars. I kind of meant it. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Gas rooms start going to the driver's compartment, and I'm like, yeah, that's, <laughs> that's a good bad. time to get rid of it. <laughs> so I am driving a, a Prius these days, which gets about the same kind of mileage, nice. although it's a yeah. much different way of doing it. Yeah. Um, well, David, thank you so much for sharing this show with us and also for your writing. The book um, was really great read. It was really fun to, to get your perspective and your stories. Um, and just as a reminder for everyone, the book is called This Has All Been Wonderful, Travel Monologue from Summer 94, The Year Fish Became Fish. Um, so, David, thanks so much for joining us and for talking with us about, you know, all things fish and sharing your history and, and your love for this this band. No problem. That was fun. Uh, RJ and I will be at Dick's, so hopefully we can see each other then and give each other high fives and whatnot. Um, well, my plan so. is to be out in the lot um, in the at least first night. Yeah, I'll tell you the stupid the stupidest reason why I'm not seeing anything before then that occurred to me mm-hmm. is I'll, I'll, my next show will be my 303rd and so that way I can see my 303rd in area code 303 nice there's there some, finally some math bringing it in or <laughs> well, at least numbers numbers it's not really math <laughs> all of the zoo I saw my 94th show I took I-94 in summer 94 to see my 94th show I thought that was cool yeah that is cool yeah I like the three hundred three, man. That's that's a good that's a good thing. You've been thinking about this a lot. It's a big number too. Well, actually, occurred to me that just the other day I was actually just um, looking to see what show. I was like, oh, the next show three three. Oh, wait, three hundred three. It's Colorado's area code. <laughs> nice, nice, awesome. Well, we'll hopefully, yeah. As Brad said, we'd love to love to meet there and and buy, I'll buy a Coke. Yeah, <laughs> you know. Well, actually, I'll probably be selling books then. Yeah, good point. Like, yeah, you've you've upgraded. You're selling books instead of Cokes. Well. Um, Everyone out there who's listening should definitely check check out the book. It's awesome. Um, and thanks for sharing your memories with the community. Uh, not a problem. And we're at hfpod.blogspot.com. Hit us up at Twitter, hfpod, and email us anytime, helpingfriendlypodcast at gmail.com. Uh, thanks again to you, David, and uh, we appreciate it and hope to, hope to see you soon. All right, Brad, we'll see you next. Uh, we'll see you in two weeks, and everyone keep on rocking. Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. 
That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hi, listeners. I want to tell you about a cause that I'm involved with at Heritage Radio Network. HRN is celebrating its 15th year. And to celebrate, we're deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers. And we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you.